You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. It is so great to be here with you via video today. Uh, Sarah and I, we are actually in Pontevedra this morning at Roots Church. Many of you know that I belong to um, the Next Level Relational Network Brotherhood, and so I'm in a group of several other pastors in this region, many of them being right here in the Jacksonville area, and so I was invited several weeks ago to go to Roots Church and preach for my friend, Pastor Arlie Whitlow, so I'm thankful for the opportunity to be there and to minister to them and to be in two places at once this morning uh, because at the time that you're hearing this message here at Christ Walk, um, I'm also preaching at uh, Roots Church. So uh, pretty cool how technology works. I'm excited about today's message here um, that I'm going to share with you and then looking forward to being back with you in person uh, next Sunday. If you got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth, and we'll land there in just a minute. Um, today, we're in part five of a series called Heroes of Faith, where we've been taking a look at some of the different characters from Scripture that God used in extraordinary ways. We're highlighting both their strengths and their struggles, their setbacks and their successes in the hopes of uncovering some nuggets of truth that when we apply those nuggets of truth to our own lives, it will position us to be used by God in extraordinary ways as well. Before we jump into today's message, I got to know, show of hands, uh, how many of you have ever walked through a difficult season of life? I'm talking about one of those seasons where things just didn't make sense, where things weren't seeming to go your way, and and where the outcome appeared to be something that was much less than desirable. Anybody here this morning? You know, I got to be honest, if you're here today and your life is perfect, it's all sunshine and rainbows, like, I don't know that you're really going to get very much out of today's message, but if you're like me, and life has had its share of difficulties, then I would encourage you this morning to lean in. Maybe you want to take some notes, because I believe that what we're going to talk about today could very well be the difference maker for some of the things that you've walked through and are are currently walking through or perhaps going to walk through in the future. And I would dare to venture that with all of us here today, those gathered in person, those watching online, that we'd be able to agree on the fact that sometimes life just stinks. Like, can I get an amen from somebody? Like, sometimes life just stinks, period. And I've found that it's often those seasons of life, the ones that are the most difficult, that that they're the ones that are highlighted by lots um, of various types of loss, 
Maybe it's the loss of a loved one to death or the loss of a job, which leads to the loss of income. Or maybe it's the loss of a spouse through divorce or separation. Perhaps it's the loss of a friendship for you pick uh, a various, one of the various reasons that that could happen. Um, maybe it's uh, the loss of a child because they've graduated and moved out of the house and gone on to college or begin beginning to live their adult life. Maybe it's the loss of uh, connection to your family because you've moved away to a different part of the country. The, the list could really go on and on and on. And I would also dare to venture that at least a handful of us here this morning are smack dab in the middle of one of those kinds of seasons of loss as we speak. And the good news is, God has provided us with insights from his word on how we are to navigate seasons just like this. And for that, we have to look no further than the Old Testament book of Ruth. Before we begin reading there, let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Ruth. Uh, first off, we've got some primary characters there. We've got Naomi, who is the Jewish wife of Elimelech. And she's the mother-in-law to a couple of women known as Ruth and Orpah. Ruth is the Moabite daughter-in-law of Naomi, and she's married to Naomi's son, Malon. And then we've got Boaz, who is another primary character, and he is uh, Elimelech's next of kin. He's a Jew um, living in Bethlehem, and he is Elimelech's next of kin. Now we have the secondary characters that we're going to hear their names. We have Elimelech, who is the Jewish husband of Naomi. We have Malon and Kilion, who are the sons of Elimelech and Naomi. And then we have Orpah, who is the Moabite daughter-in-law of Naomi, who was married to Kilion. And, and the book of Ruth, it's important to note that it runs parallel to the timeline of the book of Judges, and it's highlighted in particular by a famine that once took place in the land of Israel. And there's quite a bit of irony in the book of Ruth. Um, number one, rather than being named out of uh, or after one of the Jewish characters in the story, here we have this book in the canon of Scripture, one of the 66 books that's named after not only a woman, which we have Ruth and Esther, but it's named after a Moabite woman, a woman that's not even a Jew. And in fact, she belongs to a clan and a people that are actually enemies of Israel. That's kind of crazy. And then secondly, it all takes place in, uh, in and around Bethlehem, the majority of this story. Um, in the midst of a famine, yet Bethlehem means house of bread. And so despite the fact that they're in the house of bread, there is no bread in the house. And so that's a little bit of background of what's going on here as we jump into the book of Ruth. And so we find ourselves here with these characters in the midst of this famine. And famine, anytime famine appears in the Old Testament, it's often uh, some evidence of God's discipline because of his people choosing to sin against him. And we see that pattern in the book of Judges and how that would align with what's taking place here in the book of Ruth as well. And so as a result of this famine, Elimelech, he wants to distance himself and his family as far as possible from the judgment of God and to get out from under the trouble that they were experiencing in the midst of this famine and not having any food to eat. 
And so as we move through the narrative of this book, it's just four, uh, four chapters. It's a short read. It's a beautiful literary work. And if you've never read the book of Ruth, I would encourage you, go home today, this afternoon, reinforce this message. Take about 15 minutes is all it's going to take, really, for you to read through the book of Ruth start to finish. And I believe that you will be blessed and that you will be enlightened by this incredible story that's kind of hidden and tucked away there in the Old Testament. But as we look at the book of Ruth today, here's what I'm going to try to prove. Here's the big idea, kind of the foundation of this message. I'm going to tell it to you up front, and then we're going to kind of work through it as we go along. And the big idea is simply this. Life's greatest losses may, by the grace of God, become its richest gains. Some of you may be a little bit skeptical towards that, but I want to say it one more time. The big idea today is that life's greatest losses may, by the grace of God, that's the key component there, by the grace of God, become its richest gains. So let's jump in together, Ruth chapter 1. We're going to pick up with verse 1 and begin reading there. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, one married a woman named Orpah, and the other named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died, and this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now, when trouble comes into our life, and, and in the lives of these characters, the particular trouble is this famine that they are experiencing. But when trouble of any kind comes into our lives, we can typically respond to it in one of three different ways. We can either endure it, we can escape it, or we can enlist it. And how we deal with the trouble that comes into our lives, it's up to us, but we choose from one of those three options. And for those of us that choose to simply endure the trouble, what happens is that the trials we are experiencing become our master. And they have a tendency to turn us hard and bitter towards life and the people around us. If we choose to try and escape our trouble, what happens is, is that we end up missing out on the purpose that God wants to achieve in our lives through this trouble we are experiencing. But if we choose to enlist it, if we choose to embrace it, if you will, then what happens is the trials we are experiencing, they become our servants and they work for us. And as a result... What happens is what Paul talks about in Romans 8, 28, that God will work all things together for our good and for his glory. I love what Warren Wearsby says about times of difficulty and trouble. He says, no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, the safest and best place is in the will of God. But in the opening chapter of the book of Ruth, they're highlighted some attitudes and behaviors of, of people that, that you and I have a tendency toward as well that end up keeping us on the outside of God's will looking in. For example, one of those attitudes and behaviors is the unbelief of Elimelech. 
Elimelech was a man who chose to walk by sight rather than faith. But the Bible says that we're to do the opposite. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk in the, in the things that we hope for and the things that are unseen rather than the things that we can see that are tangible right in front of us. And so, so how do we walk by faith? Well, we walk by faith by, by claiming the promises of God and obeying his word despite the things that we see, despite the way that we feel, or despite what it, it, it seems like may happen as a result. And when we choose to live this way, what we, what we find is that not only do our lives glorify God, but they serve as a witness to the lost world around us. And, and as a result, Christian character gets built inside of us so that we become strong and prepared to handle the next season of trouble that is likely lurking around the corner. Not only was Elimelech a man who walked by sight rather than faith, he focused on the physical rather than the spiritual. Now, I'll be on the level with you. A husband and father naturally wants to provide for his family, but he cannot afford to do so at the expense of getting outside the boundaries of the will of God, thus forfeiting God's blessings on his life. Psalm 37, 25 tells us of the promise of God to his people. It says, once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. God's always going to take care of his people. In the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or maybe you've heard it, seek ye first in the King James Version. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and live righteously and then he will give you everything you need. The truth is, is that when difficult circumstances arise, if we'll choose to die to ourself, put our needs to the side, and, and instead put God's will first, then we can trust that he's either going to take us out of the trouble or he's going to bring us through the trouble to make it to the other side. So not only was Elimelech someone who walked by sight rather than faith, not only did he focus on the, the physical rather than the spiritual, he also honored the enemy rather than the Lord. He moved his family from Bethlehem there in Israel to the land of the Moabites. And these were the descendants of Lot from his incestuous relationship with his daughter. And so you can see right there from how this people group came into existence, why they were a stench in the nostrils of God. And to make matters worse, Moab was an enemy of Israel and in fact had invaded Israel and ruled over the people for 18 years during the time of the judges. And so why in the world is this guy, Elimelech, thinking, I will run to our enemy for help rather than looking to God for help? And as a result of all of this, what Elimelech finds because of his unbelief is the same thing that happens to us when, when we don't believe and when we don't put our faith and our trust in God is that there's always consequences to our disobedience. Anytime we're, un, uh, anytime we're, we're not obedient to God, we, we don't follow the principles of his word, we get outside of his will, there, there are consequences and, and in this case, we see uh, the fact that it's easy for one bad decision to turn into two, and so on and so forth. Not only did Elimelech 
relocate his family to this foreign land. That's bad decision number one. But then as a result, his sons married foreign women, which was directly against God's Old Testament law. See, they, they went there, this family went to Moab to escape death, yet Elimelech and both of his sons still died during the 10 years that they lived there. And Moab was supposed to be just a temporary destination, but over time, things got comfortable, and they ended up living there for a decade. The truth is this. Sin is always going to take you farther than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. So the first mistake, this first attitude and behavior is Elimelech's unbelief. The second one that's highlighted here in the opening part of Ruth, uh, here in the first chapter, is Naomi's deception. We pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verses 6. Uh, it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. See, Naomi's decision to return to Bethlehem, it was right because that's where she should have been all along. But her motive in this situation was completely wrong. She was interested in getting back to the food because the crops were good again, rather than being back in right relationship and fellowship with God. She was, she was more concerned with the food than she was with the fellowship. So much so that she told her daughters-in-law, she said, stay here in Moab and go back to your families and go back to worshiping your, your false gods and, and get as far away from me as you possibly can. And the reason for this is because both Orpah and Ruth, they were proof of Elimelech and Naomi's disobedience. And so she wanted to conceal them or, or forget about them altogether. She didn't want to show back up in Bethlehem with these two Moabite women in tow that were, that were markers of the fact that, that Elimelech and Naomi had raised sons that directly defied and disobeyed the law of God. And so Naomi's like, you need to go away from here. You need to stay here. I'm going back to Bethlehem. You need to return to your families. And here's what Proverbs 28 says. 13 says about that, it says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. In Psalm 51, 17, we read that the sacrifice you, God, the sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. But instead of brokenness, Naomi chooses bitterness. And she blames God as a result. In Ruth 1.13, she says, Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. In other words, this situation that I'm in, the fact that I don't have a husband, that my sons have been taken from me, that I've been living in Moab, and that now I'm returning back to Bethlehem completely empty-handed with nothing to show for my life. It's all God's fault. And despite all of this, Ruth refused to leave Naomi, which ends up becoming a major turning point, not only in Naomi's life, 
but for the future of the nation of Israel and ultimately all of humanity, as we're going to soon find out. And famously in verse 16 of Ruth chapter 1, perhaps you've heard this verse before, much has been written, songs, literature, this is an oft-quoted verse. It says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my And so here we have Naomi now with Ruth showing great love and loyalty to her. They're returning back to Bethlehem. Despite the fact that um, the crops are good there and they're, they're stepping back into a positive situation, the third thing that we see here, the third negative attitude and behavior that we find here in Ruth chapter one is Naomi's bitterness. Naomi's bitterness. See, the truth of the matter is we can't control the circumstances of our lives, but we can control how we respond to them. This is is the crux of of faith. It's, It's daring to believe that God is working everything for our good, even when it doesn't feel like it, and and especially when we can't see it happening. But yet Naomi chooses to blame the Lord a second time and accuses him of being the one that makes her bitter rather than coming clean with the fact that bitterness is something that she chose for herself. Picking up in Ruth 1 verse 20, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. See, Naomi had left Bethlehem with a husband and two sons, but she was returning to Bethlehem with none of them. She had gone to Moab to gain provision, but she was returning without it. In this moment, Naomi finds herself an empty woman, empty hands, empty home, and ultimately an empty heart. Ruth 121 continues, Naomi says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Now, it's, it's twice here in these last two verses that we read in verse 20 and 21 that, that Naomi refers to God as El Shaddai in the Hebrew. And this literally means the, the all-powerful one or the, the mighty one. And, and the truth that's revealed here to us is that it, it's, it's one thing to know God's name, but It's something else entirely to trust in that name in the midst of life's difficulty. See, Naomi knew the name of God, but she hadn't exercised her faith in God. Naomi's focus here was on the things that she didn't have rather than on the blessings of God that she did have. Yes, she didn't have provision. Yes, she had lost her husband. Yes, she had lost her sons, but she still had a lot of great things going for her. She still had her life. She may have left three loved ones in in, in graves in Moab, but but she still had breath in her lungs. And and because of that, she had opportunity. Because the truth is, is that if we're not dead, then God is not done. Not only did she have life and opportunity, but, but she had Ruth. Despite being a Moabitess, Ruth trusted God and was fully committed to him and and proved her loyalty and love to Naomi by returning to Bethlehem with her. 
And then on top of all of that, the, the trump card is that, that she had God on her side. And, and as we're going to find out, God is the God of redemption and second chances. And chapter 1 concludes, it says in verse 22, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And in this beautiful literary work of Ruth, there's a bit of foreshadowing going on here in this verse. When it, it mentions spring, spring is the season of new life. And it talks about the barley harvest. And traditionally, the barley harvest was a time when uh, the people of God would come together and celebrate his goodness and faithfulness to them. And so this sets us up to then, as we continue on through uh, the book of Ruth, now spilling over into chapter 2, to begin to answer the question that many of us have, which is how do we overcome unbelief, deception, and bitterness in life's most difficult seasons? So here, here's kind of the setup that I want you to understand before we begin in chapter 2. You need to know that before God changes our circumstances, first he wants to change our hearts. Because if our circumstances get better, but we remain the same, it's only going to lead to greater detriment. We're going to turn out worse in the long run. God's purpose in his providence is not for us to be comfortable, but for us to become conformable to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And through these trials, through these tests, through these struggles and situations and circumstances, that, that Christ-like character is developed in our lives. And so here's where Ruth comes in. While Naomi remains bitter as she goes back to Bethlehem, Ruth was open to this newfound faith that she had in God and, and was ready to see and experience the work of God in her life. And because of that, not only did God move in Ruth's life, but he used her to influence Naomi as well and, and to begin to untangle the web of unbelief and deception and bitterness that Naomi was caught up in. And so if, if we want God to move in our lives and to develop us during the difficult seasons that we face, there are certain conditions that you and I need to meet. And the first one of those is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first condition is that we must live by faith. We must live by faith. Picking up in Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened... She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. See, it's important for us to remember, as if we could really forget, that both Naomi and Ruth have lost their husbands. And as such, they would have had no one to provide uh, for their family directly and would have to otherwise be dependent upon the kindness of strangers. And, and part of God's law that we read in the Old Testament allows for uh, this, this thing called the, the gleaning. And this particular clause in God's law commanded the people to leave gleanings behind, to leave some of the crop behind on the edges of their fields as they reap the harvest, 
to help provide for the otherwise down and out in the community. And so as Ruth steps out to go and become a gleaner and to to take hold of what little bit of harvest she could at the edges of these fields, um, she steps out as a woman with the deck stacked against her. She had very little in this moment going uh, in her favor. She was, as I mentioned, she's a woman. On top of that, she's a widow. She's also poor. And, and to make um, all matters worse, she, she's a foreigner. She's an outsider trying to come in and, and break into this society here in Bethlehem. Yet despite all of this, Ruth believed that God loved her and that he was going to provide for her needs. And so she stepped out in faith and took action by going to glean in the fields. She didn't just sit there and wait for God to move and say, you know, like like Naomi, God's shaking his fist at me and this is all her fault. Ruth said, I'm going to take the bull by the horns. I'm not going to sit around and wait. I'm going to exercise my faith and I'm going to believe for God to make a way. By God's providence, as she steps out in faith, she ends up going to the field that belongs to Elimelech's relative, Boaz. And this will play a major role of importance as the story continues. So first, we've got to live by faith. Number two, we must live by the grace of God. We must live by the grace of God. We continue in Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, Boaz went over to, uh, and, and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied, for you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. And so she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her some of the roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and she still had some left over. So it's at this part of chapter two that we're introduced to this character, Boaz, who many believe to be an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ and and his relationship to his, his bride, which is us, it's the church. And Ruth, in this case, represents the lost sinner, the one that is outside of God's family covenant, who's completely helpless and in need with no rightful claim to any part of God's mercy. And as we read through this section of Ruth and and dissect it, it's important for us to recognize the, the symbolism of God's grace that is revealed to us in Boaz and his treatment of Ruth. First, we, we uncover the fact that, that Boaz took the initiative to meet Ruth's needs. And in the same way, God took the initiative to meet our need for salvation by sending his son Jesus, even while we were still sinners, even when we were spiritually bankrupt, even when we were without strength, when we were actively and purposefully living as enemies of God, he took the initiative to send his son to die on our behalf. Not only did Boaz take the initiative to meet Ruth's needs, but he also spoke to her. Ruth, was, she was a widow. 
She was a foreigner. She was a woman. She would have had no right to approach a man of the status and esteem of Boaz and speak to him, yet he chose to address her. And in chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we, we read that, that God has spoken to us and is speaking to us in these last days by and through his son. Not only have we been given his word of salvation, which we have in the gospel, but we've also received his word of wisdom, the entirety of the word of God, which we're able to use to navigate our daily lives and the difficult situations that you and I come up against. In this section, we see that Boaz promised Ruth both protection and provision. Boaz commanded his young men to look after and protect Ruth. He, he told Ruth to stay right behind the young women so she would have the first shot at the gleanings that they left behind. And, and even in a section of this chapter that we didn't read, Boaz tells his workers, he said, I want you to leave handfuls of grain on purpose, right out in the middle for her. You pick it and drop it in the field so that she can come behind you and pick it up. And in the same way, by, by Christ's death and resurrection, he's protected us from the onslaught of sin and death. And he's given us intentional and purposeful provision so that we can take hold of it and experience eternal life. Continuing on, we find that Boaz was an encouragement to Ruth. Ruth fell at the feet of her master, and he rewarded her submission. See, in that moment, she, she shifted her focus from her poverty and instead was looking towards his riches. She, she forgot about her fears, and she rested on his promises. And today, Jesus is inviting both you and me to come and to surrender at his feet. And rather than focusing on our imperfection, we can lean in to his perfection. Rather than wallowing in our emptiness, we can savor his fullness today. Rather than just showing up in a, in a setting like this at a church to, to get our needs met, we can boldly come to the throne of grace and worship the God who is greater than any need that we could ever have. That's encouraging to us here this morning. And finally, Boaz saw to it that Ruth was satisfied. The Bible says that Ruth was given a seat at her master's table. And she ate until she had her fill. And today, Jesus invites us to do the same. John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty so in the midst of difficulty, if we're going to overcome our unbelief and our deception and our bitterness, we've got to live by faith. We've got to live by the grace of God. And then third and finally, we've got to live. We must live in hope. We must live in hope. Ruth chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. And so Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. And she said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. See, Naomi, in this moment, she swung to the opposite end of the spectrum. Where she was once proclaiming bitterness, she is now pronouncing blessing. And the difference is that Boaz had entered the picture. And, and Boaz is this source of hope. 
And Naomi had hope because of, number one, who Boaz was. He was Elimelech's next of kin. And he was a redeemer in accordance with God's law based on what is known as leveret marriage. Leveret marriage is if, if a man left behind a childless widow, it was his next of kin's responsibility by law to marry this man's widow and to have children with her, thus redeeming his kinsmen and continuing the bloodline of the family. So that's who Boaz was. He was positioned to be this kinsman redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi and for her family. Not only was it who Boaz was, but it was what Boaz did. Boaz showed kindness and favor, favor to Ruth. And in fact, the Hebrew word is chesed, which means loving kindness. Not only was it who Boaz was, what Boaz did, but it's also what Boaz said. Boaz gave instructions for Ruth to stay close to his servants and to remain in his field. And, and this served as proof that his future plans were going to include Ruth and his mother-in-law. In the same way, you and I can take hold of this living hope today because of who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's come to earth to take away the sin of the world, and he is the Redeemer for all who will believe on him. Not only is it who Jesus is, but it's also what Jesus has done. He, through his loving kindness, has said to all of us, he died on the cross in our place so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be set free from the grip of sin in our lives. And then finally, it's what Jesus has said to and about us. His word says that we are his sons and daughters and that, that we are joint heirs with him for the inheritance of the Father. Matthew 12, 21 puts it this way, and his name, the name of Jesus, will be the hope of all the world. We have hope in Jesus this morning, church, because of who he is, what he has done, and the things that he has spoken over us. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of, of loss and difficulty, Ruth is an example of someone who chose to live by faith. And as a result of her faith, God extended his grace to her through Boaz. And as a result of God's grace through Boaz, Ruth and her once bitter mother-in-law Naomi were filled with hope for what was to come. It's kind of like what we say around here all the time. Because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. And we're getting ready to see that play out right here in this story of Ruth. Let's look and see how the story continues to unfold. Picking up in Ruth chapter 4 verse 9, it says, Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses today that I have, brought, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Boaz stepped up and fulfilled his duty as the, king, the kinsman redeemer in accordance with the Leverite marriage law of God. And he and his family, as a result, were blessed by the Lord. And here's how things ended up. Ruth 4, beginning in verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. 
Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Naomi returned to Bethlehem empty, but now, by the grace of God, her life was once again full. Ruth had come to Bethlehem as a foreigner, as a widow, childless, but now she had a family. She had a husband, and God has now blessed her with a son. But it wasn't just any son. It was a son who would become the grandfather of Israel's greatest king, a man by the name of David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. The significance of this child doesn't end there because out of that same line would come not just the greatest king of Israel, but the king of all kings, a man by the name of Jesus. Yes, that's right, Ruth, this Moabite woman. We find her in the genealogy of Jesus there in the book of Matthew, telling the story from the beginning of time all the way to the savior of the world. See, all it takes is just one person choosing to trust the Lord and being obedient to his will to move a situation from a position of defeat into a posture of victory. Life's greatest losses may, by the grace of God, become its richest gains. If we will just simply choose to live by faith, live by the grace of God, and live in hope for what God has in store for our future. Yeah, I get it. I understand it. I've lived it. Sometimes life just stinks. But the God that we serve is the great redeemer. And he can turn the worst situation around, both for our good and for his glory. For those of you in a struggle today, the Lord is inviting you to exchange your unbelief for faith. He's extending the invitation for you to trade in your deception and to take on his grace today. He's inviting you to lay down your bitterness and instead take hold of his hope. If you find yourself in need today as the band comes to lead us in worship through song, these altars here are open. We have prayer partners standing by ready to come and lay hands on you and pray with you. Believe God for you. And so let's all stand together. And as we sing, you're invited to come and receive prayer and ask God to move in your life in only the way he can. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.